I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of History Hack, which didn't exist until about 48 hours ago and now has gone absolutely crazy. Uh, I'm Alex Churchill and with me is Alina. Hello. Alina, pronounce your surname for me because I can't call you Nobbles. It's really unprofessional. Nobbles. Yeah, what she said. Okay, so firstly, <laughs> firstly, some <laughs> housekeeping. I don't ever want you to think that we're not taking this pandemic seriously. It is, of course, devastating. People are separated from their families. We have people stranded about the world. There's just heartbreaking footage coming out of Italy. I can't even, I can't even watch anymore. A country and a people I adore. But we created this to provide you all, provide you all with light relief. And we're going to stick to that. So the sheer response of the historian community to the idea of donating their time to this project has been phenomenal. We're already getting ready to bring you the likes of Mary Beard, Saul David, Dan Jones, beyond that, Tom Holland, James Holland, and established historians from around the, gro- the globe. But we've also got lesser knowns who are specialising in some really niche, interesting stuff. We're going to talk um, about North American pandemics and the wiping out of the indigenous population, how the ancient world dealt with plagues. Um, and we're going to do our best to have some archaeology every week. We're going to talk Inca history with two guys who actually work the famous trail. Um, and we're also going to be talking to Pakistan's prominent jur- most prominent journalist about the history he has witnessed in the last 30 years we're even going to try and fill the sport voids we have the football history boys they're an award-winning blog coming on um, and ferrari's self-proclaimed biggest fan will be coming on to talk about the three best races in their formula one history we've got guests lined up from the us egypt pakistan australia france belgium ireland we're going to have a separate show every week um half an hour called poland picks because um alina is polish in case you couldn't tell by that surname and has some amazing contacts so we're going to do a little focus show probably more serious that we'll release once a week and we've even opened the doors to our own virtual pub so every Friday evening we will be doing a slightly extended show more towards an hour um, and we'll mix um, on a particular topic we'll ask a question so this week the question is what is the greatest ship ever built Um, and we're going to have a mixture of naval historians and enthusiasts come on and have a very relaxed sort of like we we hope everyone will have a drink in hand and we'll have a very relaxed conversation and debate it um, for an hour or so Um, we make this pledge to you now. We will do our best to not let boredom prevail. Can I stop being serious now? Yeah, please. Yeah. Just, just, just stop, stop. Right. So I'm going to hand over to Alina now to introduce our first ever guests. Is that because you've never heard of them? Pretty much. I, don't, I can't do anything after 1937. <laughs> Is it even 1938 yet? My brain stops Dude. there. We're, we're going to be hitting 1945 and lots of conspiracies. So... 
Um, I think you might need to have a seat in this. Uh, I, in this I think I might go and get a gin and tonic, actually. But yeah, go for it. Who do we have? So we have the fabulous Guy Walters, who is a historian and journalist, who has written a book on uh, hunting evil, uh, The Great Escape, amongst many others. You can get him on Twitter, at Guy Walters. Quite simple, quite easy, really. Um, hi, Guy. Hi there, Alina. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. I, you know, I'm, it's nice and sunny, and, um, you know, and I'm sitting inside talking to you. What could be better? <laughs> Perfect. So not only do we have Guy, but we have Luke Daly Groves, um, our historian from uh, Liverpool, who is a historian, author, lecturer at the University of Leeds and the University of Central Lancashire and some weird sort of acronym that I can't pronounce. Uh, we can all laugh at me. He's published his book on Hitler's death just last year. Uh, also quite active on Twitter. Quite simple tag, really, as well, at Luke Daly Groves. Oh, long moment there. Um, and he's up to some quite new research. So, hi, Luke. How is Hello, everybody doing? Luke, how are you I, dealing I, with I, the I, pandemic? Uh, I'm all right, thanks. But I, I realised Guy had some trouble with his um, lawnmower yesterday. Guy, did you get your lawnmower going? <laughs> yeah, thanks very much for mentioning it. Yes, <laughs> yesterday I, uh, I dug out my lawnmower after about five months of... Uh, uh, gardening inactivity and I was actually hoping it wouldn't start and I wouldn't have to mow the lawns and it didn't start so I was absolutely delighted and then it started and it coughed and spluttered and then the finest historian of, of, of wartime Polish history Roger Morehouse uh, who has a BTEC in, in engine management actually informed me what was going wrong so it worked I thought he was talking about a car or something was that your lawnmower it was my lawnmower, I know. This is what historians talk about. I once, I actually did once have someone saying, we can't book you for a talk because I've looked at your Twitter feed and you don't talk often enough about history. It's just, historians <laughs> should only talk about history. It's utterly, utterly insane. Well, but I anyway, hated you the other day when you started the fry-up thing because then I yeah. immediately felt the urge to go and eat about 9,000 calories worth of fried bacon and sausage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thanks I mean, for that. I mean, I'm, we could do a whole podcast about the history of the, the, the full English breakfast. And I, I'm a big proponent of the fact that there should not be beans on a full English breakfast. But if, I, well, if they are, they should be in a separate bowl, I feel. I, I think they should, they should be in a separate bowl or not at all, because they're not traditional. If this, goes, if, this goes on, <laughs> if this goes on long enough, guys, we might actually have to put out a podcast about the history of the great English fryer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's but do Alina, don't do include me. Anyway, anyway. Get food, anyway. Alina, where you are, because Alina is locked down, aren't you? Uh, yeah, kind of uh, courtesy of the Polish government. Uh, can't leave my house. <laughs> Did they not send the police round to check you were home yesterday? <laughs> uh, they'd send the police round every day to see if I'm still in the property. But Russia have apparently gone further. So I was going to, uh, we were going to, we're going to start every show by asking everyone how they're doing. But apparently Putin has now given Russian citizens the choice. They can spend 15 days at home or five years in jail. And I, did we think three weeks ago that we'd be looking at Vladimir Putin and going, yeah, that's the guy we need. Bring him in. Get rid of Boris. We need that guy. Well, you're I, right. I, I, I'd still rather not have Vladimir Putin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially not uh, his idea of five years in jail, whatever I can imagine that would be. Yeah, yeah I, I just like, could you, yeah, it, it would be slightly harder to enforce, I feel, here. Uh, what's the stupidest rumour that you've heard so far about how to fend this thing off? 
I was it um isn't it almond oil are you going to smear almond oil all over yourself um so that <laughs> was that claimed or, or by somebody it, who oh, manufactures no, almond oil or you put peanut butter on your genitals <laughs> <laughs> no no guy that's just you no that's something else sorry i forgot <laughs> okay let's get to the history oh sorry luke go on oh I was going to say, I haven't heard any rumours about how to to sort of help the coronavirus, but I have heard that people are bartering bread for toilet roll in certain places, which I thought was actually <laughs> mental. Hold on, wait, wait. I think it was Roger Morehouse who posted up about a guy trading a donut and a blowjob for toilet roll. <laughs> <laughs> who was he offering the blowjob to? Or was he no, a woman. I feel we need no, to clarify this with Roger no, this, when he comes this up. This woman came up to him, literally, and she was like, I'll give you a donut and a blowjob for some toilet roll. Wow. <laughs> check, check, wow. Out, check out his page. You know, go on, Mr. Roger Morehouse. You know, I, I thought post-war Germany was bad with the bartering, but, you know, that, that's, a, that's a whole new level. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on to the history. Let's get into it. Offer that to Roger. <laughs> right, lovely gentlemen. Right, let's get on to the history, let's, guys. Uh, let's hit some questions. So, um, oh, hang on. Before we do questions, so we just have Luke tell us a bit about um, his book and Guy tell us about sort of why they're here to talk to us about Nazi conspiracies. Yeah. Yeah, so Luke, tell yeah, us about your book. It's garnered some controversy, hasn't it? Yeah, so, so I wrote the book um, Hitler's Death, The Case Against Conspiracy, which was really an academic response to this explosion of conspiracy theories which which we've saw since the um, the piece of skull that they have in Moscow that they thought was Hitler's it was DNA tested and then they found out that it was it actually belonged to a woman and that inspired all sorts of um, you know publications books online websites newspapers magazines and then of course you had this big series hunting Hitler three seasons um, all, all arguing that history and sort of uh, history as we've known it has been proven wrong and I, I, what I do is I, I went back to the primary sources. So I looked at, you know, the, the British and American intelligence investigations. I looked at the Soviet investigations. And um, I, I wanted to see if there was any substance to this idea that these files pr provide proof to, to the idea that Hitler escaped. And what I actually found is that the, the, these conspiracy theorists, they, they take the files completely out of context. And the, the, the intelligence officers were actually investigating them, not because they, they thought Hitler had escaped, but because they, they wanted to know why people are spreading these rumours. And they wanted to actually bolster the case for, for his suicide in the bunker. Um, so, yeah, but it, it has garnered controversy, especially especially on Twitter. I mean, I didn't realise just how prolific the, the, the idea of the escape really was until I published the book. And then I, I started talking about it on Twitter. And um, it, it, it's almost daily now that somebody, especially with lockdown, it's made it worse. Football <laughs> cancelled. Everybody's watching Hunting Hitler. And then, and then they just post on, on, on Twitter, you know, um, oh, I, I'm convinced that Hitler escaped because some guy in Spain on Hunting Hitler is, is there saying that he saw him. You know, it's, it's yeah, so it, it's become a daily thing. Lockdown has made my job harder. <laughs> so, Guy, you respect. wrote... <laughs> Brilliant. It sounds like a fantastic book. Guy, uh, you've written a book called Hunting Evil as well. Are you with Luke? Am I with Luke? In, in, in the sense that I'm, I'm with him about... I, no, I, I think Hitler definitely, uh, you know, died in the bunker in terms of... I'm, I'm totally with Luke. And, you know, I, I support Luke's courageous uh, and uh, I was going to use the word sort of uh, attack on the, sort of the virus of um, Hitler conspiracy theories. So I don't think we should bandy the word virus around quite so much now. But uh, no, I am completely with Luke. And I, I think that his, his book is brilliant. Um, and I think that it's, it's a much needed corrective to this conspiracy theory. In fact, I'd, I'd asked, uh, I was asked to be on Hunting Hitler 
um, when the uh, production company were first mooting it. And I was offered a vast amount of money to appear on it and, 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 a, and a far more generous day rate that the one is used to and involving lots of travel. So, of course, you know, it's as a freelance, you know, journalist and historian, you know, it is seductive being asked to appear on programmes like this. And I was assured that I was going to be the voice of reason and that I would be the kind of the one putting the other side, I, the truth. Um, but actually, I'm, I'm now very glad I didn't do it. Um, you know, my bank balance may have suffered for not doing it. But actually, I think that, you know, it is a problem being in programmes like this. And, and Alex, you know, and I know, we, we both do a lot of telly. And, you know, you, you, you've got to pay the bills. And, you know, you want to make sure you appear in shows that aren't complete crap. Um, but at the same time, you know, sometimes... You've got to be able to reach- sleep at night, haven't you? Yeah, and you want to reach a broader audience. So you and I, and I you, you and I both do a series called World War Weird, don't we? And, and that's a fun series because it does look at conspiracy theory. And then by the end of each segment, it then says, and then the truth is, da-da-da-da-da-da. So, you know, yes, were, you know, were there Nazi dinosaurs? You investigate it, you answer no. And that's yeah. fine. Yeah, um, and it's all good fun. I really like doing that yeah. show. It's so, I mean, who'd have thought that you could get paid to just laugh at the Nazis? Yeah, exactly. So, I, so I, but back to the original <laughs> question, I'm totally with Luke. I think, he's, I think his book is fantastic. I think I'm, I'm also bloody impressed that Luke has uh, managed to fit in writing a book during his PhD. So it means that basically you, you are one of the uh, probably younger members of the historian community who's still got an attention span. So congratulations. And both of the books <laughs> we're talking about are, of course, available on Amazon, aren't they? Alina, you got a question for yes, Guy? hello. <laughs> I do. I've got quite a few questions, actually. So um, our lovely Twitter followers have been sending in questions. Uh, we've got quite a long list of them. Uh, we're not going to be able to get through all of them. Uh, but we are going to start with something a little bit lighthearted by uh, Fashion Worked. Uh, the question is, if Hitler had made for the Swiss border, which bike would he have used to jump the barbed wire? Should we, should we start with Luke? <laughs> yeah, OK. I, 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 I thought about this and, and um, I, I know that there is a lot of historians that are all up on the tech, the 1940s tech and that sort of thing. I, I know very little about 1940s motorbikes, but what I do know about is Indiana Jones. And I thought that um, if Hitler was going to escape at, at the border, he's going to be in that sidecar that Sean Connery and Indiana Jones are in, and it's going to be Hitler on the motorbike. And in the sidecar, you've got Ava Brown and the blonde DJ Man Shepherd on, on, on her knee. And then they sort of jump the jump the border, and then they get like a sort of Scooby Doo twist up. And when it's over the border, Hitler's ended up in the sidecar with Ava on his knee, and then Blondie's driving the motorbike. <laughs> brilliant, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Sounds I, like an I, epic film, actually. <laughs> Luke, you've given it a lot of thought. I, um, I think that, uh, and this is clearly a reference, of course, in case people don't realise The Great Escape, where Steve McQueen attempts to jump over the German-Swiss border in a motorbike. And, and The Great Escape is something I know quite a bit about, because I wrote a book called The Real Great Escape, and I did a show with Guy Martin, uh, looking at you know, how you could try and jump over. You know, he tried to recreate the stunt. Um, and I won't give it away in case you want to watch it again. But I think if Hitler was making a Swiss border, uh, and I think, Luke, I think he would have been a bit more old school and gone for the BMX. Um, I think he would have been <laughs> pushed by and, and he would have tried. And I think he would have gloriously fucked up, which would have been great. And then he would have died that way. Face planted three yeah. inches from the border. Is that what we're saying with a broken arm? I'm saying, yeah. Hitler face planted. In all seriousness, you know, the, the, this is great because it points out, it, it sort of alludes to the idea that a man who is 
He's in terrible health. He's on a ridiculous concoction of drugs. He's showing um, clear symptoms of Parkinson's disease in the last footage where he's sort of shaking and shaking. I mean, he's about. effectively the a smackhead, he... isn't he, at this point? Uh, well, he, uh, put it this way, I, I wouldn't be injective with anything that Hitler was injected with uh, willingly, <laughs> let's put it that way. Well, actually, I think, sorry, I think that, I think that actually, sorry, I think that it's an interesting point. It brings it back to the current environment. I I think Hitler, we we would now, his health was so poor, we now regard him as an at-risk individual from COVID-19. His his health was an absolute shocking state. We'd also be pushing him out into the realms of these morons that are not social distancing. He would not have lived for more than five years. Brilliant. He was sort of the original self-isolator then, though, in the Fuhrer bunker, wasn't he? Yeah, like, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alina, go, you've got more questions. Yeah, do you know why? Because you guys started off on the drugs, so <clears throat> that's uh, triggered off another question, actually. So Martin Lamb asks, considering how many drugs Hitler was on, there we go, how likely would it be for anyone to purchase so many specific ones without putting two and two together? And if he did escape to South America... And if he did, except, sorry, because there were two tweets together and I should have checked the grammar. So, <laughs> Right. I mean, I, th- I think he was on a huge cocktail of drugs and you only have to look at, you know, the diaries by his medic, uh, uh, Theo Morel, wasn't it, Luke? Um, yeah, Morel. To, to realise the, the, the astonishing amount of, of, of drugs and what a complete hypochondriac he was. I think Martin's question is sort of, it's a good one. It's slightly misplaced because it sort of gives the impression that you know, hunting for Hitler, you know, in, in, in South America or wherever he was, all you have to do is to pop into a local chemist and say, has anyone been in recently to order this specific <laughs> couple of drugs? If so, it must be Hitler. Um, I, don't, I don't really think it kind of works, you know, like you pop into Boots or Lloyd Pharmacy and, and, and you say, well, if someone's had that, that means Adolf must be staying nearby. Um, you know, I, I, I get the idea, um, but what it does uh, raise is the bigger question of, we know that Hitler didn't escape, but we do know that various people like Joseph Mengele escaped and Adolf Eichmann escaped. And these are the characters I write about in my book, Hunting Evil. And, and of course, the point was, is that Martin is way ahead of the curve there with his question. Because people like Joseph Mengele, you didn't need to do anything clever to find Joseph Mengele. Joseph Mengele was living in Buenos Aires in the 50s. And he was listed in the Buenos Aires phone book under the name Jose Mengele. So you did not... <laughs> Cunning, I see what he did there. <laughs> Who knew? So you didn't need to be a massive sleuth in the way that Martin's suggesting to be able to track a lot of these people down. So, I mean, that's the serious point. So, you know, these Nazis, they, they lived pretty much openly um in 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 south america the favored you know retirement destination for your nazi um you know even eichmann may have lived under a false name but his children were still called eichmann so yeah it's um you do not need to be a great detective to have hunted these people down but isn't it shocking as well that the the complicity in south america that's what always strikes me as well that that this was allowed to happen well you've got to remember that South America, you know, and especially, you know, uh, Argentina, these were, you know, dictatorial fascist states. They liked these guys. Mm. Um, And and, and it was nobody's job to hunt Nazis in South America after the war. People sort of think it was the job of the CIA or or, or the British intelligence services, you know, or, or even the Israeli government. I mean, the Israelis had, you know, bigger fish to fry on their doorstep, you know, with the Arab nations than they did to hunt, you know, you know, 
what were rapidly becoming historical villains to many people. So I think that, you know, a lot of these Nazis lived absolutely kind of scot-free without really much molestation at all. Lena. Sure. Me, actually, let's get Luke to, to give a quick answer. Go, Luke. Oh, yeah, well, I think sort of, sort of you're running on um, Guy's point there. I think somebody else asked in, in, in the questions that we, we had that some, somebody asked about the, the, the sort of recruitment, the general recruitment of Nazis. Uh, yeah, some light on Mantio Stulutus, I think, asked something about uh, he shed light on the actions yes. of US and UK intelligence 45 46 and their choice uh, with working towards bad people. I, I, why did they work with these bad people? And this is something which is which is sort of linked with the hunting Hitler thing on Twitter recently, and with the conspiracy theorists, is that they they like to say like Operation Paperclip, as if this this gives them some sort of crazy knowledge of secret intelligence and, and provides um, support to the idea that Hitler escaped. Uh, but I recently um, I published an article in Intelligence and National Security, which Guy very kindly uh, proofread for me and saved me from a giant howler. Um, but um, in the article, I argued that that. The, the, the sort of criteria which the intelligence services set up for themselves when they were recruiting these these Nazis and Nazi war criminals, um, it, ex- it completely excluded Hitler because they looked at everything through the prism of security and control. So it was, can this Nazi be controlled? And his, is he or she a, a security risk? And Adolf Hitler was a huge uncontrollable security risk and, and British or American intelligence would never have done a sort of deal with him along the lines of, of Operation Paperclip. So it, it is actually a, another sort of non-argument put forward by the, the conspiracy theorists. Next question. Well, I think we should start talking about uh, Rudolf Hess. Um, the, the guy, he makes me laugh. I mean, just the, sh- the sheer stupidity of flying to Scotland. So let's hit off with the question by Torrance of Arcasia. Uh, I've always been curious about Rudolf Hess. It seems such a bizarre thing to do. Well, yeah, totally agree with that. Uh, was it a genuine attempt at brokering peace? And uh, love to hear a bit more about it and his life sentence. <laughs> okay, who's answering this one? Is it you, Is it you, Luke, or is it me? Uh, I think you might know a bit more about this than me. Well, I, I, okay, so... I don't feel 100% confident that I'm qualified to answer this question, but I will certainly give my semi-educated opinion about it. And I would have thought that that Hess was not in a mentally great place. Um, I think that he genuinely felt um, marginalised by Hitler after 1933 when the Nazis came to power, and he was becoming increasingly an irrelevance. He was someone that Hitler needed on the way up, a, a very sort of loyal... Uh, person. Uh, he was kind of almost like a bit of an amanuensis, helped him with Mein Kampf. Um, I think that by the time uh, you end up being in government, um, someone like Hess was someone who, who was hopelessly overpromoted to deputy Führer. And, you know, we sort of regard being vice president as a bit of a non-job and vice prime minister as a bit of a non-job. And I think actually deputy Führer was really a bit of a non-job. So I think actually it was a genuine attempt to try and, and broker peace. I still think there was this residual thought that actually uh, the British were the natural allies to Nazi Germany uh, and, and between the two nations, the world could be conquered. Um, so, yeah, I think I think he, he was a very strange man. I, there are a lot of conspiracy theories. I, 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 I know I think we are going to talk about plausible conspiracy theories later. Um, for, for me, Hess conspiracy theories are implausible. They're largely to do with whether he was murdered or there was a body double. And I don't really have a lot of time for them. But Thanks I, I for giving that a go, guys. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much more. 
I don't have much more to add. I, I think he was a bit of a crazy guy, and, and, and I think that he was basically childlike trying to get his dad's attention. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You see what I mean? Good analogy. Alina, so let's move on then. Yeah, I'm thinking um, we're going to stick to something quite... uh, I'm going to annoy Luke now. Uh, So (laughs) there, I can't pronounce the name... Um, but oh, is it this conspiracy guy? It is. It is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I don't know, Luke. There's there's quite quite oh, a few well. questions here that we could uh, well, we could go. Um, this, so, Luke, have you read the questions? I've, I, I I skimmed through them, and, and and this is sort of typical of the sort of conspiracy theorist line of question. It, it's incredibly in depth. It's incredibly detailed. He talks at one point about the blood on on, on Hitler's um, sofa leg, which they've got in Moscow, and it's. It's, it's just what they do. It's like they, they spend like their whole days just looking at the complete intricacies of, the, of these topics. But fortunately, I've got an answer for pretty much everything that he said in there anyway, which is, which is great, which is why I, I'm so happy that I, I sort of had the opportunity through writing the dissertation to sort of look into it in as much depth as the conspiracy theorists, because I, I can sort of help out historians and, and provide that sort of in-depth um, rebuttal to, what, to what, what they come out with. So can we I take do a few them? of his claims. Yeah, that, yeah, go for it. Take a few and just like bullet point why these arguments yeah. down. Right, okay. Well, then let's let's start off with this one then. So why is there no consensus on the cause of Hitler's death from eyewitnesses in the bunker on the 30th of April, 45? Facts are facts. Facts are facts. Um, well, if you... That was a bit have... Rafa Benitez, wasn't it? Facts! You well, know. No, no, I'm, I'm reading... I'm reading... <laughs> no, 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 it's good. Written. Yeah, go for it. So, uh, think about the situation in the bunker, you you know, everybody's talking about the best way to commit suicide. Um, Hitler has um, cyanide tested on his on his, his, his beloved dog, Blondie, and it's a, top, it's a common topic of conversation. How am I going to go? What's the best way to commit suicide? Do I shoot myself? Do I take poison? And then, you know, the people, some of these people in the bunker are incredibly close to, to Hitler. You, you know, you had Heinz Linger, his valet, um, you know, Arthur Axman, the head of Hitler Youth, I've only seen, you know, been in regular contact with him towards the end. And, um, you know, he, he confines himself to his quarters and you open the door and you're confronted with this scene, you know, and there's blood splattered on his, on his sofa and Ava Brown is, is next to him. Your first thought is not, right, guys, let's see how the Fuhrer has killed himself. It's not, it's, it's oh my God, the Fuhrer is dead. The world has come to an end. Uh, we need to carry out what he's told us to do. Quickly, you know, go grab something, wrap him up. Uh, pick him up. Let's let's just get on with it. You know, it's it's shock. You're in a position of shock. You don't go in the room and go, uh, you, uh, how is how is exactly as he died here? You just you, you know they they dealt with it. They were in a war zone, 
Um, so it's quite natural that, you know, when people heard it from other people in, in the bunker, um, some people, I, I think there's an, there's an account of, um, it might have been Guncher, you know, he, he pretends to, to put a gun in his mouth as to say, you know, he shot himself in the mouth. And some people said he shot himself in the temple. Some people said he did both with the cyanide. And it's just natural for these sort of rooms to spread. But the key point is that they agree that he killed himself. And all of the key eyewitnesses in the bunker that saw Hitler's body in situ on the sofa agree that he shot himself because they saw blood on his body. And, and, and that is the key fact. It's, it's quite natural to have these different ideas of how exactly he committed suicide. But the, the key fact is that they know he did it. And um, he goes on about the, this, this conspiracy guy. He talks about the, the blood stains on, on the sofa. And if, if you read Petrova and Watson's book on the, on the Soviet fires, you'll find that they, they actually tested the blood in 1946. And they found that it was, um, it was blood group A, which was Hitler's blood group. So it's a really broad sort of blood group, but it's still Hitler's blood group. So I don't know what he's on about saying that it's not Hitler's blood type there. Hit him um, with one more, Alina. Uh, yeah, I was about to do that. I was going to hit the blood one because that actually <laughs> sounds the most interesting. But you've uh, you've you've hit you've hit me. Do you know what? Uh, let's do probably the most simplest one. Uh, so why are there so many sightings uh, propagating from from Argentina? Um, well, there's, there's all sorts of motivations for people to spread these rumors, and I, and I give several of them in the book because I looked at the FBI files, um, which which is what like series like Hunting Hitler uses their sort of key evidence for this. Um, and, and the FBI investigated some of these rumors and, and they found that they were spread by people with, with, with you know, financial motives. You had journalists looking to, to, to make money out of it, you know, to sell sort of sensationalist stories. Um, people that just like to create sensation. You had um, one of them was like a 90 something year old spiritualist prophet. Um, you know, so mental illness played a factor as well. And then some, some of them were um, there, there was a sort of political motive behind one of them. So. Uh, there, there was a member of the embassy that was trying to, to sort of discredit um, the Argentinian government by saying that they're hiding um, the top Nazis like Hitler. Of course, there was some there was some truth to that, but obviously they used Hitler to sort of draw attention to the fact. Um, so there's a variety of, of, of reasons and, and sort of explanations behind the sightings in Argentina. It obviously doesn't mean they're true, and, and they don't provide evidence for Hitler's actual the idea of Hitler escaping. I think that what both Luke and I have found as historians is that when you look through FBI files, MI5 files, CIA files, you realise how so much intelligence is just complete crap. Um, and it's, yeah. and it's really <laughs> intelligence officers just sometimes they've just got a report. You know, if some, you know, batty old clairvoyant turns up and says, I saw Hitler, uh, I, I dreamt that Hitler was a, a monk in Denmark. then you know, they've, got to, they've, got to sort of, they've got to write it. Well, that's in, that's in Q, that's in the MI5 files. And, and, and it's something like that. I can't remember. There, there are all sorts of dotty old women who sort of, you know, have these. <laughs> and anyway, but, uh, and anyway, so, so you realize they are just going to write it down. But of course, what happens is decades later, you then get the more sort of unscrupulous program makers and, and quote unquote historians who will say, oh, well, look, this is in the FBI files or the MI5 files that, you know, Hitler landed, you know, in Benidorm in the submarine and, 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 and had a kip, you know, in a hotel in Malaga. But, you know, it's not proof. And, of course, what conspiracy theorists do, as soon as they see something like that in the file, they go, that's proof. And if they don't agree with it, they'll then rubbish the agency which produced it. So they try to have it both ways. My favourite one so far is being asked to do a piece on the Prince of Wales, <coughs> the future Edward VIII, going over the top, sneaking off and going over the top in World War I with a battalion. And I'm like, 
but he didn't. No. And they're like, yeah, 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 but it would make an awesome story because we all know he tried to put himself in danger. So if you could find that nugget for me of him throwing himself into action, I'm like, I can't because it did not happen. But anyway, let's stick, <laughs> let's stick to World War II because Alina, Guy, has another question. Um, you have another question from Alina. This is going really well. Yeah, I, I think it's going great. I, it's brilliant to have um, Guy on, on a sort of panel with me because because Guy has looked into the actual Nazi escapes to South America and, and to places like Argentina in his book Hunting Evil, so he can provide like the real context which surrounds these actual Nazis who, who escaped to these places. And and it doesn't chime with the, the conspiracy theorist sort of notion of a mustached as Hitler uh, living incognito in, in Argentina. It, it, it doesn't match the reality of what, what people like Guy and uh, historians have looked into. Yeah, that's a, well, a I mean, really good point. Go on, Guy. Yeah, I think I think Luke's absolutely right, and thank you, Luke. It, it it's kind that I mean, when I when I started researching, you know, the escape of Nazis, you know, people did have this sort of idea that it was very much like the Boys from Brazil or the Odessa File by Frederick Forsyth, which of course is a great film with with John Voight. And I, you know, as as I researched more and more, I realised that there was really no sort of kind of octopus-like creature with its grip all over the world, fermenting a Fourth Reich, helping Nazis escape. I mean, I, I once interviewed, I had the sort of mixed fortune of interviewing a man called Eric Priebker, who was a former SS Gestapo officer in Rome. He was a captain in the SS and the Gestapo officer who had shot people during the massacre in the Ardiatine Caves in 1944. And he actually, he was under house arrest, lockdown, we call it today. Deservedly um, so, as far as he's concerned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and he was, this was in Rome when he was in his late 90s. He was still very um, spry. And um, I was interviewing him about how he escaped to Argentina after the war. And I asked him if there was something like an Odessa. And, and he said to me, no, I wish there had been because, you know, I was dirt poor. Um, you know, when I arrived in Argentina, there was no kind of network. You know, there was no kind of fourth Reich. You know, th these escapes happened on a very ad hoc level. Um, and you've got to ask yourself, the Odessa in German is meant to stand for the organization of former SS men. Well, if you're forming a secret society of former SS men, you're unlikely to call it the organisation of former SS men. <laughs> Not unless you're a complete moron anyway. But mind you, you were saying earlier, you had a Jose Eichmann, didn't you? Well, no, sorry, wrong one. Jose Mengele. Jose yeah. Mengele living in Argentina. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, there, there, there was, because that was, you know, you're right, that, that could look like stupidity, of course, in hindsight, but it just shows you how you know, largely unworried they were about being tracked down. Um, you know, Simon Wiesenthal, the supposedly the great Nazi hunter, you know, he never went to South America. And if he had gone to the ABC cafe, in a German cafe in Buenos Aires, he would have seen Mengler and Eichmann have a coffee or a beer together. You know, you, you could have rounded these people up had, had you really wanted to. So, yeah, so, I, I think the context of this is that, you know, the, the idea of, you know, fiendish escapes by submarine is just nonsense. So let's do this then. And if you let's... take this, um... go on, go ahead, Luke. Sorry, sorry, sorry. If 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 you take this idea of a fourth Reich being directed from Argentina as well, it's completely um, at odds with with the actual history of of attempts at Nazi revival. So you see, Arta Axman, the head of the Hitler Youth, he tries to um, bring, he has a long term sort of plan to bring back Nazism. It's stopped by Operation Nursery in forty five, forty six, and then you have Vernon Alman, who is another person from the bunker, and he tries to sort of. Uh, infiltrate a sort of Nazi 
variant of politics in, in, into German politics in, in 1953, and again, it's stopped by British intelligence. There's no way that Adolf Hitler, if he'd survived, that he would have allowed these former close colleagues of his to, to create groups that were sort of disseminating variants of Nazism. That, that just doesn't, uh, it doesn't chime with, with what we know about Hitler. So what do you, that's a really good point, but let's do this. What do you think, let's start with Luke, is the most ridiculous conspiracy you've heard of um, so far as the Nazis are concerned? Um, well, in terms of the comic ones, like the really silly ones, I've, I've had Hitler uh, dressed as a woman in Ireland. I've had Hitler dressed as a monk. I've had Hitler converted into Islam in Egypt, which is which is really silly. But in terms of sheer stupidity, I think, um, and also it's it's quite serious as well. Is is the link with um, Alina's work uh, with with Holocaust denial? Because since publishing the book, I've noticed that on Twitter there's this idea that Hitler was somehow a Zionist and this helped to facilitate his escape, which is absolutely preposterous and and you know damaging because Hitler. Uh, he, he implemented a policy for the, the annihilation of all Jews, and he even said so in, in, in his speeches, in his prophecy speeches. He says it directly, the annihilation of Jews. So it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. But this is, again, it's why it's important for historians to, to focus on the truth and to tell the truth and to make sure that, you know, even the little lies can be sort of latched onto these people with harmful worldviews and sort of spun into their own um, perspectives. And, and I, I think it's, it's great that all historians are coming together to sort of stop this sort of thing. Guy. It's why uh, it's why uh, Luke basically tags me uh, in these posts, and I keep him basically telling to do it, and then I just yeah. go mental at uh, these crazy Holocaust deniers, which is pretty good fun for me. <laughs> Guy, what's your take? Uh, uh, well, uh, so we're talking about conspiracy theories again. We are, yeah. Though, I mean, do you agree yeah, with Luke yeah. about that sinister side, so far as um, I, I, tying it I in? Do, I do. Think I do think that there is a probably if you drew a Venn diagram of Holocaust deniers and people who believe that Hitler escaped, I think the overlap would be huge with the two circles. I, I think that some people who think that Hitler escaped aren't necessarily anti-Semites, but I think that there are a lot of people who do like to sort of peddle this agenda. They also like to promote the idea that the British sheltered uh, Hitler, um, and I think that's the result of, of ultimately or initially Soviet disinformation to try and foster this idea that there was an equivalence between the, the, the forces of the West and the forces of fascism. Um, so I think, you know, I think the people that are kind of you know, p- putting this stuff forward today aren't really aware of the origins of their own thoughts, if you see what I mean. And I mm. think that that's what's very helpful about Luke's book and, and, is, and also I touch upon it in, in Hunting Hitler as you look actually at this was put out by the Russians initially, this idea of Hitler escaping. Yeah. But I think that on, on, a, on a more sort of, sort of jocular theme about conspiracy theories and, you know, ones that I think that are, are my favourite implausible ones, there's no doubt, um, you know, if we're really ignoring Nazi spaceships, but I think that uh, the Nazi uh, base under the Antarctic has got to be my favourite. You know, it, it's, it's... The thing about it, it's almost technically possible that you could have gone to the Antarctic and drilled some holes in the ice and built a base in a way that it's not possible for the Nazis to have gone to the moon. And, and it's Although just, that was a off. good film, it was it was a laugh, wasn't it? Iron well, Sky. Iron Sky. Was the yeah, film. I saw the trailer. I'm not but, sure you know, there was a need for a sequel. Yeah, there must be. Well, then we can do you know Iron Iron Ice Base or Ice Base Sky or whatever it is. I I think that it's um that there are all sorts of perfectly seemingly sensible and intelligent people who will give some of this stuff credence. And of course, the more it's out there, 
um you know the, the, the more obviously with 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 the web it, it just kind of you know it migrates and I, and I know that luke is is very active in actually going around and, and whacking these moles down uh and eventually <laughs> one day hopefully he won't have to do it anymore but i i, I salute him we all do. Um, guys, let's wrap up. You have been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and being our technical guinea pigs as well. We've had a few stumbles recording this. Hopefully we'll iron those out as uh, time goes on. Once more, uh, tell us about the books of yours that we've been discussing. Guy? Well, uh, I've written quite a few books, but the one that's most applicable to this discussion is my book, Hunting Evil, which is the true story of how the Nazis escaped and how they were tracked down or how they were not tracked down. So, uh, yeah, no, that's um, that's a brilliant book. So you must buy that. And I'm uh, sure I have my own copy, by the way. <laughs> I'm Good. sure at some point, Alina, we're going to have to get Guy back on because there's so much he can talk to us about. Um, so we're, we're inevitably going to be annoying you quite a lot. I think, Guy, about recording some more of these podcasts. And Luke, your book, uh, Hitler's Death. Yes. Yeah, so, so I've written um, Hitler's Death, The Case Against Conspiracy. And, and it's one of these books where the subtitle actually applies because it, I, I, I hope that it's going to be the actual definitive case against conspiracy theories of Hitler's death. But it also looks into um, conspiracy theories about Martin Bormann and other leading Nazis like, like, like um, Heinrich Himmler as well. So there's, there's more in there. And at I the feel... moment, I've just published an article on... Sorry. I, no, I, I was just, just saying, I feel there's why. definitely scope for both of you coming back on to do a part two, if you like, because we had a lot of questions we haven't got to about Martin Bormann. And as I say, you've both done yeah. extensive work on, on other Nazis as well. So I'm sure we can set that up. But the article you've just written? Yeah, so I, I've just um, written an article about why British and American intelligence um, employed Nazi war criminals after the war. I, I'm currently working on on two sort of big book projects. One is um, a history of the Napoleonic legend in Britain, and the other one is um, a comprehensive history of, of British and American intelligence divisions in occupied Germany, so 44 to 45. Wow. So there's plenty of scope for sort of Nazi conspiracies in there, and even Soviet um, plots as well. I don't know how you do we it. We should definitely do a part two. Yeah, definitely. I think we'll we'll have a chat with you guys about a part two um, and we'll, we'll carry the we'll questions that. over. Um, so that is it for today. That's it for our first ever um, History Hack podcast. Tomorrow, we will be talking to father and daughter duo, John and Emily Jordan, about their fantastic new book, which is War Queens. And it examines feisty, um, argumentative women, which uh, Alina and I can... Uh, can uh, connect ourselves to uh, throughout history and how they led um, their troops on the battlefield. So we'll be doing that. So if you have any questions for them, um, please send them in. I'm sure Luke and Guy would be happy to engage in more discussion on Twitter. Our Twitter is at history, uh, sorry, at hack underscore history. Um, so thank you very much for joining us. Um, bye guys. And thank you very much. We'll have you on again soon. Been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. 